we're going to be reading a scripture this morning from the book of Romans. Uh, if you have the small print Bible in front of you, the NIV, it is on page 1188. If it's the large print, it's on 1763. We'll be reading from the 11th chapter, verses 33, through the second verse of the second chapter, 12th chapter, pardon me. On the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, oh, the depth, did you read that? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God add his blessings on the reading of his word. Well... Welcome back again as we wrap up this series at last. Uh, we've, we did the first three parts in a row, and then we've had a, a Freedom Sunday, and then we've had a, a Baby Was Born Sunday where I wasn't here, and, uh, and so now we're finally getting back to finish up this series that we've been in called Better, that's been all about getting better spiritually, because we believe when we get better spiritually, we just get better, period. And so we've been talking about some spiritual disciplines, Uh, particularly inward disciplines that believers have been engaging in since Jesus. And uh, these aren't necessarily the things that Jesus taught us to do, though some of them are, but they're really the things by which we put into practice what Jesus taught us to do, the things by which we internalize and then in turn live out the things that Jesus taught us to do. And so they're really important. We've talked about meditation and how that you know, that helps us just thinking on uh, and using our imagination to really just internalize God's truth helps us then to live it out better. We've talked about prayer and how that helps to align our heart with God's heart. And we talked about fasting. That was a real fun week, right? And it just happened to fall right on Super Bowl Sunday and ruined your Super Bowl Sunday for half of you. But we, we talked about fasting and how that really does help us combat the tendency to put the blessings in front of the blesser. It helps us keep our priorities straight and remember that God, the Creator, is better than any created things that He can give us. And so fasting is a discipline that helps us remember that. And today we wrap things up with one last inward discipline on study. But before we dive into that too far, I just want to mention a couple things to you. Uh, One is that with... The things that we've been praying about, and we've got a list of prayer needs, as always, on the back of your bulletin. Uh, we Just a couple of folks wanted me to express thanks to you, and, uh, and Pat already had the chance to express her own thanks, but also a thanks I spoke to uh, Arnold Cootie yesterday on his 90th birthday, and, uh, and he wanted me to express his thanks to you for your 
cards on for his birthday that he he said he was swamped. <laughs> so um, so thank you so much for that. That was a big encouragement to him, and thank you for just your continual. Uh, prayers and encouragement to him. He said, you know, I kind of figured after this long they'd have forgotten about me, but it seems like they haven't. So, so thank you for, uh, for continuing to lift him up in prayer. Uh, he's got a long road ahead. Uh, Vivian comes into town actually today for a week to try to do some uh, things that need to be done around here and then she'll head back uh, to be with him again through what appears to be the final stretch of his life as he battles stage 4 cancer and, uh, and the treatments continue to hold it at bay but not uh, cause it to retreat and so let's continue to to pray for them and also uh, a thanks from Vicki Cartledge who hasn't been able to be with us in a while as she's kind of taking on the role of, of caretaker for someone in her family and so uh, a lot of you have again been encouraging to her and you've been praying for her and and so forth and she, she said just let them know how much I appreciate that and look forward to being back as soon as I can. So that's from Vicky. And of, cor- of course, uh, Julie and I are grateful. And in case you haven't been on Facebook and haven't seen the pictures, I thought I'd put one up for you. Uh, and that may be about all you get to see of Peter for a little while. <laughs> because uh, we, we have been told by more than one doctor, keep that baby in the house. Don't let him out. Apparently RSV is just running wild. And uh, in fact, I've got a college friend who just had twin girls. And they had to literally resuscitate one of those girls before the ambulance could get there. And then she was life-flighted to another state, to a pediatric facility where she's on a ventilator. I mean, it's just something, you know, it's like a common cold for us that are adults. We don't know the difference, but when an infant gets that particular strand of the cold, it can really be life or death. And so anyhow, he'll be in for a little while, doctor's orders. So, uh, but that means if you, uh, you want to see Peter before he comes here, you know, if that's going to be too long for you, just give us a call. Make sure you don't have any cold symptoms and uh, you don't even have to bring your own hand sanitizer. We've got gallons of it. So come on down and give us a call and we'll, we'll just come on in and we'll let you meet him. He's pretty neat. <laughs> Except at night. So studying God's word. You know, one thing that, have you ever, anybody, just a show of hands, have you ever heard a Christian take a verse completely out of context? You ever heard that? Have you ever heard a preacher do that? (laughs) Definitely. Especially if you turn on the TV. I mean, they're not all bad, but some of them. Well, how do you know You know, in fact, a lot of Christians do this, and I think a lot of us do this. And probably I've done this. And, uh, and so how do we combat that? You know, here's just a couple of examples that, that I've seen around a lot in our culture lately. And, uh, one, you know, these two verses are kind of a similar theme. But definitely you hear the Jeremiah 29, 11. That's like everybody's favorite verse, right? Because I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And people say, yeah, that's my life verse. God's looking out for me. He's got me. And, and that's a... It's, it's a good and positive thing, but we are completely lacking the context on that one a lot of times. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a good plan for your life here and now, but the context of that is written to a people who were in exile. And the people who it was written to died in exile. <laughs> All right? 
I just think that the context, I mean, they didn't even live to see this promise play out as God's people eventually did return because God did have good plans for them and they did receive a Messiah in Jesus Christ. And so those people, though they, may, they had faith, the ones that had faith got to see that promise fulfilled after death through their faith. But maybe not the way that we think of that verse a lot of times. And similarly, we know that all, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Those who have been called according to His purpose. A lot of us love that verse. And yep, it works everything to the good. If I'm a Christian, everything's going to be good. It says so here in my Bible. And again, Paul wrote that to believers who were being persecuted. And just a few verses back, he said, Friends, I believe that our present sufferings don't hold a candle to the glory we're going to experience in Christ. And so sometimes we, you know, we take things out of context a little bit, don't we? And we, and we think that somehow this applies to our, our career trajectory or you know, how many raises we're going to get or bonuses or inheritances or, you know, or how our kids are going to act tonight when we get home. Or, you know, and we forget the context it was written in. Another one, and this one amazes me. Have you, have you ever heard uh, someone say, well, the Bible says that God will never give you more than you can handle. I think that is probably the most popular verse that's not actually in the Bible. Uh, But the closest thing we have to that is God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, you know, in fact... On the contrary, we're often promised more than we can handle. Otherwise, why would God have sent us His Holy Spirit as a helper? Right? We need help. Because it's more than we can handle. Uh, But with regard to temptation, God doesn't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Of course, that means we still have to take the way out. Right? We still have to require some effort on our part. But anyhow, context is important. Right? And how do we get context? And I want to suggest to you that it's not through just reading Scripture. Because when we just read the Bible, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible. (laughs) Don't hear me out on that. But when we just read through it like we would read through a blog or a magazine article, or when we skim through it like we would a a novel that we're reading in in our spare time, well, a lot of times we just read what we've already heard, or we read what our cultural context you know would tell us or or we just read what we want to hear similarly it's not good enough just to read devotional books those can be helpful too those can be really encouraging too some of those devotional books are why we take stuff out of context that's where it started right and it's not the same as God's word even books like Jesus Calling, which is so good and encouraging, yet it's important for us to remember that though it's written as though Jesus is saying it, that's not actually Jesus saying it. And there's a difference between devotional books like that and God's Word. So, studying God's Word. I believe that's how we avoid pitfalls, like taking things out of context. But the problem is for a lot of us, studying God's Word, we would have assumed that's synonymous with reading God's Word or reading a devotional book. That is studying God's Word, right? I want to give you a new definition today or a new idea of what studying involves. And to do that, we're going to start by just backing up a little bit and saying, 
what's the purpose of studying? And I believe the scripture passage we read today can give us a lot of insight on that. What is the purpose of studying? And when we understand the purpose of studying, I think we'll see how it's different than just reading the Bible or just reading devotional materials. And why it's worthwhile for not just the pastor to study in his study, but for each of us to be studying so that we know what God's truth is. And we don't fall into the trap of taking God's truth out of context. The passage we read began with what's called a doxology. And and Paul is known for these. Maybe he pulled them from a source we don't know of, or maybe he just authored them. Some of the scholars that I read as I prepared for this said they believe that he just had a knack for authoring these awesome poetic worship that it's based on the Old Testament we can see you know hey that really sounds like this passage in the Old Testament or that sounds like this but he just pulls these thoughts together in his worship and in this particular little doxology that he's written he worships God for being so lofty and high above what we can understand right he who can fathom the mind of God who can understand it he worships God And then that ends chapter 11. Now, keep in mind, Romans was a a letter. This book that we call Romans in our Bibles, this ancient document, was a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. And it's one of the richest, longest, hardest to understand letters that we have from Paul. And yet it's just, it's where a lot of our Christian theology is really founded and based because he really hashes out the truths of God and the truths of Jesus teaching and, but it's one of those it's not one of those breezy reading kind of materials you know but bear in mind this is a letter and as Paul wrote or dictated this letter he did not say alright that wraps up chapter 11 now chapter 12 we'll start a new thought did he He just went right on. And we later went and added chapters and verses. And sometimes those help us because it lets us find stuff, you know, instead of us saying, well, go about, you know, halfway through Paul's letter and and look for a paragraph that starts with... Obviously, that would take us forever. So this helps us a lot. But at the same time, sometimes we make the mistake of segmenting Scripture that wasn't meant to be segmented. So Paul moves from this worship of God whose thoughts are high above our thoughts. And he moves straight into this next thought with a therefore. Therefore, in in light of this, and in light of God's mercy, he says to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And that's your worship. In view of all this truth about God, and in in view of his mercy towards us that we didn't deserve, present yourselves yourselves, your bodies as a living sacrifice and this is your act of worship and he goes on to say you know what it looks like to be a living sacrifice he says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then I mean get this he just got done worshiping God and saying who can know the mind of God and then he says then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. On the one hand, who can know God's will? And on the other hand, if you'll do this and have your mind renewed, then you can understand. 
you know, we've talked about a lot of spiritual disciplines. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, meditation that really helps us internalize God's truth. Prayer, which helps us align our heart. You know, a lot of those meditation and, and prayer and fasting, they're heart things. And this is why study is so important when it comes to knowing God's will and having your mind renewed because it's a mind thing that leads to being transformed. And here's the thing about study. We study to reveal the truth. We study God's word to reveal the truth and it's the truth that will set us free. That's taken from some words of Jesus that are found in John chapter 8. And we're told that at one point Jesus was talking to some Jews who believed in him, it says. Believed him. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed what he was saying. They believed what he was doing, what he was teaching. Jesus told them, if you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples. That's how you know if you're really my disciples. Then, if you do that, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? And I I can hear us almost saying, well, we're Americans. We're as free as anyone's ever been, right? We've got more freedom than any people ever had in the history of humanity. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And elsewhere in Scripture we're told that all have sinned. And so everybody needs to be set free. And the way we're set free, as Paul worded it, to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed so that you can know what God's will is, that's being set free from sin, the pattern of this world, to live God's way. And the way that we're set free from being slaves to sin is by renewing our minds, by knowing, holding to Jesus' teaching, because then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is why study is huge. Studying God's Word. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I've just, I, when I read that, it makes me want to study God's Word more than I study anything else. Because I want to know the truth. And I want to be set free increasingly from the patterns of this world and transformed into something that looks a whole lot more like Jesus. And so I want to study this more than I study anything. You know, we study a lot of things that interest us or that we think will get us ahead in life. We study how to do better at our jobs. We study how to do better. Some of us study how to do better with our families. You know, how to be a better parent or how to be a better, especially when you're not getting any sleep at night, right? You start reading all about how to... <laughs> we study a lot of things. When you, if you've got a hobby, if you love hunting or fishing, I mean, you, you may study how to do better at that. You may subscribe to a magazine or, uh, you know, something online that teaches you and has articles about, you know, where to go and how to do it and We study a lot of things. This is what sets us free. So I don't know about you, but I want to study this more than I study anything. And it's not just because I'm a a pastor or a preacher. And you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher or a teacher of any sort 
of God's Word, to study God's Word. And we, if anyone is without excuse, we are without excuse. Jesus spoke to a people who didn't have a New Testament, of course. He was writing it with his actions. Paul wrote to a people that didn't have a New Testament. All they had were the letter he wrote them, you know, and, and their Old Testament scriptures, which they didn't call Old Testament. That was just their scriptures, the only scriptures they had. We live in a day where, I mean, ministries like the Gideons have made the Bible so accessible. And now in the age of technology, it's unbelievable how accessible God's Word is. And not just God's Word, but study tools and helps that make it very feasible for anybody to study God's Word. To really take hold of the truth. And it's the truth that can set us free. So I want to give you some, some guidelines today on how to study God's Word. It's a little different than just a cursory reading of it. It's a little bit different than just picking up a devotional book. But we're going to give you three steps. And if you can find room in the margins, you may want to add some notes to it as we go. This is just a really simplified kind of outline, three steps that we're going to go through. And after, just as we've done with every week of this, I want this to be so practical for you. And I hope you'll take the opportunity to commit, for your own sake, to trying this, just as we've committed to trying meditation and prayer and fasting. And there's different commitment levels. Maybe you say, well, you know, I, I'd like to take the, the toughest one. Or maybe you say, well, this is all brand new to me. I better just start out with the most basic ones, so they're kind of ordered in levels of intensity, alright? So, you can take time later and pick which commitment level you want to look at, but let's just walk through these real quick. Step one. Repeated observation. Everybody say that. Repeated observation. Alright? This is reading it, like really reading it multiple times. That sounds dumb, doesn't it? <laughs> when, at least, maybe it's just my personality. But I, when I got to college, I, was, I think I was a freshman. It was my freshman year in college, and I went to a Christian university. And even though my degree at that time wasn't ministry, they still wanted everybody to take some Bible classes and things like that. And I had a professor that made us, assigned us, to read a passage multiple times a day for multiple days. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I mean, I read it once. <laughs> Do you think I'm dumb? Or I mean, it's, the words are there. I read it. I got it. Let's move on. But I was amazed after I just followed through anyway and finally got past my feelings of, this is so stupid. Why am I having to do <laughs> Once I finally got over my little attitude problem and just did it, I was amazed at the results of reading something. It's amazing what you miss in one reading. And it's amazing how you, you, know, you start to connect themes that run through a passage of Scripture. You start to pick up on things that you may have missed the first time through. And new details come to your mind. And you become really familiar with something. And see, that's really important when you're going to study something like this. Is you want to be really familiar with it before you go on to the next step. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to go to the next step. 
So with repeated observation, we're asking the question, what does it say? What does it say? I mean, you really want to know what does it say? And so you read it multiple times to get a feel for everything it has to say. The, sec- the second step is, is careful interpretation. Everybody say it. Careful interpretation. All right, and this, instead of saying, what does it say, we're asking, what does it mean? It's one thing to know what something says. It's another thing sometimes to know what it means. And so we carefully interpret it. Again, you know, people read a verse out of context and come up with a meaning that maybe was the wrong meaning sometimes, as we looked at earlier. And so it's important that we move on to step two and and carefully interpret what we've read. There's a couple of things, there's lots of things we could talk about with how to carefully interpret this, but I want to give you what I feel like are the biggest two, and they both revolve around this idea of context. Because that's where most of us fall into a mistake, is when we read a passage of scripture, and then we just draw conclusions without considering the context in which it exists. And so there's two kinds of context to consider at least. And the first one is scriptural context. That may mean going back a little bit and reading what came before it. It may mean reading on past it a little bit so that you see, again, like with that Romans verse that we read about, uh, you know, he works all things to the good. If you read that, but you didn't read verse 18 that came before that that talked about these present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that we'll see ahead of time, you wouldn't have even known that Paul was writing these things to people who were suffering for their faith in Christ. And that's kind of important <laughs> to, the, to understanding what the truth is and how to interpret that. So you consider the scriptural context. You might even ask, you know, what kind of document is this that I'm reading? Is this a letter? Is this, you know, a, an account of something? Is this... A, a song, like in the Psalms, a, po- a poet, poetic and, and lyrical? What, what, what kind of text am I reading? And the other kind of context is cultural context. Because let's face it, ain't none of us in here ancient Jews. <laughs> All right? I've met most of you, and I know for a fact you're not ancient Jews. And I, I found myself, you know, we just finished up this class that, uh, that several of us were doing with the end time stuff. And I found myself constantly reminding everyone in the class and myself, we're not ancient Jews. And the ancient Jews had trouble interpreting some of that stuff. So, you know, woe to us if we think we're going to have an easy time with it. When even, the, I mean, Peter even said, hey, that guy Paul writes some good stuff. Sometimes it's hard to understand. All right? So if, if Peter said, Sometimes Paul's a little hard to understand. And he was an ancient Jew in that culture of that day. Then you can bet that we shouldn't take it flippantly and just, hey, yeah, I can get it. <laughs> you know, We need to pay attention and, and be students of the cultural context that it falls in. Now that seems like, how do you do that, right? Well, I mean, for one, reading scripture helps because it's probably our best source on ancient Judaism to start with. But fortunately for us... We also live in a day and time where there are a lot of awesome scholars who have devoted their life's work to discovering and learning about these ancient cultures and then making that information available to us in a fashion that we can get to without having to devote our whole lives to that journey. And so uh, you'll find some resources on the back 
of your card that says free online resource. And I love this site. I use it all the time. BibleStudyTools.com And they have made available for free resources that used to I mean, only some pastors and professors would have because it would require buying volumes upon volumes of encyclopedic material and research and study tools and things that just the average Joe can't even afford, much less store on their bookshelf, right? (laughs) Who has room for that? Much less even figure out how to use the things. And so they've made it so accessible. It's unbelievable. Um, when I was in college, they told me, get an, in standards, uh, an international standard Bible encyclopedia. They said, it's going to cost you hundreds of dollars, but it's worth it. And it'll take up lots of room on your shelf, but it's worth it. Get it. All right? I never did. But you know what? Now I don't have to. Because <laughs> it's free, and it's right there, and you can just search for what you're looking for, and it pulls it up for you. Or you can go by letter and look it up. So, I mean, you know, we're getting ready to do a series on Peter next. So, you know what I did? I went on. I hit P. I scrolled down to Peter. Hit Peter. Pulled up a whole encyclopedic article on Peter for me. With, with linked, you know, links all the verses that says, you know, here's where I, we found this information. This was in, you know, here's all the accounts of Peter about this. And Matthew, da, da, da. All you have to do is click on it. It takes you to the scripture. It's unbelievable. Uh, hey, I don't know Greek, Hebrew, you may say. Well, guess what? You can just go to the interlinear Bible, pull up the verse you're looking for. It pulls it up in Greek. It pulls it up in English. You can click on the word in English that you want to know what it, the Greek original Greek word was. It pulls up the Greek word for you. It says it for you so you can hear what it sounds like. And it tells you what it means and where else it's found and other ways it's translated. It's unbelievable the tools that are available for free at your fingertips. Commentaries, scholars who have digested all that stuff for you, scholars who do know Greek and Hebrew and all about the ancient cultures, and they go through and they do commentaries on here's what this means and here's the context, and and it's very helpful. And so I've listed a couple there for you that you might be able to go and use. And a note to just not pick up any old commentary because there's people that commentate without much sense. So <laughs> try to find reliable commentaries. And if you need help with that, you can always... Uh, or if you have a question about a specific one, I'd be glad to help you research it. But let's study God's Word. It's easier now to do than ever before. And the third step is simply practical, purposeful application. Everybody say purposeful application. Purposeful application. If we don't take this last step, there's no much point in studying in the first place. We have to ask, you know, okay, here's what it says, here's what it means, now what does that have to do with me? And we need to ask at least two questions, because, I mean, Jesus said the biggest deal is love your God well and love other people well, right? And so we ought to at least ask, how does this truth that I've just discovered in God's Word affect the way I relate to God? And how should it also affect the way I relate to others? And every time that we study God's Word, we should at least ask those two questions at the end and figure out what it has to do with us. So we're wrapping up this series. And each of these disciplines, 
that we've studied. I really believe that if we'll apply them in our lives, if we'll use them along with God's Word and His Holy Spirit that lives in us and helps us, we will be transformed into people that look a lot more like Jesus. And this world will be a better place for it. And the kingdom will be advanced because of it. When you take the the initiative to get better spiritually, then you're also in turn, as an effect of that, going to make the church a better place. You're going to make the church a better people. And you're going to make this world a better place. So I say this just as a, in closing of this message, as a, just kind of a blessing and a challenge over all of us. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's study Scripture, uncover the truth, and let the truth set you free. Let's meditate on it, dwell on it, think on it, internalize it, so you can better live it out. Let's pray, not just to get things, but to align our hearts with God's heart. And let's also fast from time to time to remind ourselves that the blesser really is better than the blessings. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for believers like the Gideons who further its influence and further its accessibility. God, we, we have to admit that we who have such easy access to your word have too often taken it for granted. Holy Spirit, help us to study with greater fervor and understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.